We're continuing our look through discipleship today and we're looking at loving in service. Um, But before we turn to the passage, we're going to turn to C.S. Lewis. Um, In his book, The Screwtape Letters, uh, it outlines a senior demon who advises a junior demon um, on how to best tempt or corrupt people, how to lead them away from God. There are lots of interesting things in it, um, but one chapter focuses on ownership. You might think that's a bit interesting, but as the senior demon says, the sense of ownership is to be encouraged. Teach the humans to use the adjective my. My boots, my dog, my wife, my time. And in time, he says, they will even come to use my God in this same sense. As in, my God, whom I have a claim on, will do these things for me, because I've earned it. But, screw tape, the demon continues, this assumption that our time is our own is so absurd that, once questioned, even we cannot find a shred of argument in its defence. Man cannot make or retain one moment of time. All comes to him by pure gift. Well, our passage today agrees. Use the gifts you have received, says verse 10, as faithful stewards. Not owners, but stewards. And stewards not even of what we have earned, but, verse 10 continues, of God's grace in its various forms. You see, idolatry is living for self. It's the belief that our time, our possessions, our gifts, our lives, they are earned by ourselves to be used for ourselves. And in complete contrast, true worship is living for others. And today as we turn to 1 Peter, um, we see that the disciples of Jesus are to imitate him in loving service, in living life for others. And verses 7 to 11, which we heard read, they're highly practical in nature. They really show us how, the how of loving service. But before we get there, I think it's good to look at the why. And we see the why in verses 1 to 6. And they show us that to know Christ's love is to show Christ's love. They're connected. Because we are rescued from selfish living. We are no longer slaves to sin. Um, Before we learn how to live in the present, Peter points us backwards to the past. Um, We kind of did it a bit earlier in communion, didn't we? What we did in communion was a remembrance of what God has done. And before you understand the now, we need to see the then. In your loving service, says Peter, remember Christ's loving service. um, If you want to look at it in verse 1 of chapter 4, where it says Christ's past sufferings means that we are done with sin. We are done with it, not done with sin in the sense that we are all perfect, um, because we're not, but because Christ has rescued us from sin's grasp. And Peter outlines this in chapter 3, 1 Peter 3.18. He says, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. We were all slaves to sin, rejecting God's rule. We had made ourselves king. We had claimed ownership. But the Bible actually calls that state dead in sin. Christ chose perfect obedience to God. He took the judgment that we deserved so that we may be free from that, so that we may have life. And those who are now safe in Christ, well, Peter follows, are to live differently. If you look at verse 2, as a result, as a result of what Christ has done on the cross, um, 
We do not live the rest of our earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. That's the difference. Um, If you have gone somewhere new, well, you you need to change a bit, don't you? If you lived in Alaska and you've just moved to Wollongong, you're not going to... you're not going to keep wearing the big coat and the fur boots. Well, okay, maybe you will a little bit. Um, if you move from Australia to Alaska, perhaps you're not going to keep wearing thongs and singlets. That's just not um, quite right, is it? Um, likewise, if you're in Christ, we don't keep living the old life, which is to live for ourselves. The death of Jesus means the death of sin. We are to live the new life, or as it says in Peter, um, Christ has given us the spirit, the spirit of life. And so the time for living for ourselves has um, finished when we accept Christ. As as we we heard, the wages of the the righteous is life in Proverbs 10, but the earnings of the wicked are, are death. Christ's real and historical death and resurrection shapes our lives frees us to live a new way. But it's not the only important event that Peter is framing his instructions with because verse 7 starts by pointing us to the next event, the one to come, the one that hasn't happened yet. It's in the future and it's the return of Christ. Um, Christ's return is what Peter's always going on about. Um, In verse 5, he tells us that Christ will come back to judge. And Christ's resurrection means he is reigning as Lord and he will return to judge us. And verse 7 tells us that that time is close. It says the end of all things is near. It's a reality and this whole passage has a sense of urgency about it, doesn't it? And this is an important time, says Peter. It's an important time, so get on with it. But what is the it where to get on with? Well, verses 1 to 6 show us it's not living foolishly and selfishly. Verse 7 to 11 tells us that it's actually a bit too early to be enjoying the perfect life in heaven. That hasn't come yet. So it's it's too late for this. It's too early for this. Um, But before we start sounding like the rabbit from Alice in Wonderland, um, what what is the time? It's time for loving service. What does that look like? Verse 7 to 11. That's where we get to. We are rescued for loving service for the glory of God. And the first thing to note as we look through um, is how broad this section is. Super broad. They're not really specific instructions. And it's wonderfully so because serving in love is not a narrow thing for the gifted few. It is for all disciples of Christ. Verse 10 assumes this. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received. It's there for all of us and it actually reflects the call of Romans 12.1 to offer your bodies, your whole lives, as a living sacrifice. And this, uh, it corrects our inclination for ownership. Our lives are not our own. It challenges the way that we box and define things in life. Loving service can't be segmented, put in its little time and place. It encourages those who doubt what they have to offer. All of us have gifts. Your life is of great value. It humbles those um, who think they are the most gifted. The gifts aren't yours, they're for others. And I think it really honours the ordinary. It gives great value to the smallest of things because it shows us that the ordinary acts of service, it shows us what they do. We see it in verse 11. um, They bring praise and glory to God through Christ Jesus. Every tiny act is a chance to give God more glory. 
through serving in love, not only do we build each other up, which we do, but in doing so, we give glory to God. Um, This may be a terrible example, but our our family was out in public the other day and the children were polite to a man, which is good, and we didn't didn't know him. But he turned to me and said, "Um, you're doing a good job with your children. Uh, Yeah, yeah, the point of that is not, so you can tell me after, I'm sorry, that feels a bit self-grandiose, but stick with me. Um, The point is that their good work in that praise went to me. And it's, it's like that with God, right? Um, we are God's children, we are adopted into his family and when we serve each other in love, well, God deservingly gets the praise. And because of this and because we follow the example of Jesus who came not to be served but to serve and we'll see the enormity of what that serving looked like at Easter next week, um, loving others is really at the heart of discipleship. It's right at the centre of what it means to follow Jesus or as John 13 puts it, by this will all men know that you are my disciple, that you love one another. And how we do it? Well, through loving speech and loving service. And, and I think in one sense this passage could well be our church's vision statement. I'll raise it with Mark, see what he says. But uh, we, are, we are all about living, aren't we, for God's glory through speaking Jesus and serving Jesus. Um, and so we do two things. Um, we pray and we love, and yes, I realise that this is two-thirds of the, the slogan, eat, pray, love, and I'm, I'm really sorry that the eat is the one to be dropped, but hopefully we can add it to the end. We'll go pray, love, and then eat after, yep. Anyway, so we start with prayer. We ask God to enable us to bring glory to God through Christ, being alert and sober-minded. The end of all things is near, it says verse 7, therefore be alert and of sober mind so you can pray. It's another exhortation, isn't it, um, to see that prayer is action. If you're going, I've heard this before, well, it's, I don't think it's an accident that this is the third week in a row where our Bible passages have started with a call to prayer. And, and this follows on, remember, from the appeal of, of Christ's imminent coming return. Um, it's saying, be alert, have your wits about you. And, and you might find that interesting. It's on your marks, get set, pray. Um, why alert and sober-minded? Well, I think it's in the context of understanding what the time is. Uh, it's that really important in-between period to be used well. And I love sports, so I'll use the sporting analogy. It's like the break in play in a sporting match. Time out if you're American, drinks break if you're Australian. I won't use a specific sport to appeal to as many as possible. Um, but in that break in play, the team all huddles together and you get instructions and you really need to focus. You focus in because you haven't got long. Now, the victory has been won at the cross. The result of the sporting match is not in doubt. The outcome is clear. But before the final whistle goes, we don't celebrate fully. We don't run around and and leave the field. No, we play, but we play confidently. Likewise, we pray confidently with clear minds. Um, And so we ask God to help us to do this. Um, Ask God in the coming weeks or come in days, to use us to bring glory to him. Ask him to make it clear um, what gifts and situations you have and how you can use them for others. Secondly, love, seen in charity, speech and hospitality. Um, I say charity not in the sense of giving away something good to a good cause, um, but charity in attitude. We are to be charitable 
to each other. Verse 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. That's a reference to Proverbs 10:12, our first reading, which says, Hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all wrongs. And, of course, it is Christ's love that covers all sin in the only satisfactory, fully way, but here is actually grounded wisdom on how we interact with each other. It's the proof that you know Jesus' love is that you love others. And it begins in the heart. It's not always easy. Um, when you're tired and when things have been rough and then uh, the little things start to grate on you and become bigger things, this is when your love can practically cover sins. Um, when you are looking for wrongs, it's amazing. Wrongs are out there, aren't they? They're everywhere. You can find them. When you're looking to take offence at things, again, you'll find it. But if you are looking to forgive, to see the best in others, to compliment instead of critique, to see others' successes instead of their failures, um, then arguments won't start. Wounds won't fester. A kind word turns away wrath, says Proverbs 15, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A man that I know, um, he prays, the same prayer each morning, he, he asks this. He says, God, help me to see each person as you see them. And he prays that simply because he desires to see everyone that he meets throughout the day as made in the image of God, loved by God, a person who Christ suffered for, and he wants to be moved to love himself. And a reason that this section begins with instructions to pray, I think, is because it's hard to stay angry with someone if you are praying for their good. They go together. So we love each other, seeking to forgive, looking for unity, not division. The each other spoken of here is understood to apply especially to um, brothers and sisters in Christ, so those in the building with you right now. And it's good to pause here and perhaps be a bit uncomfortable What that means is the people in the pew in front of you and behind you and next to you, well, they're given to you by God to love. As you look around, they are the people you are to serve. Um, And I can thankfully actually see all eyes on me still, which means you're all to serve me. No, no, sorry, but I set you up. No, Uh, when you look around and and that's what you see i I think that's a a wonderful thing the the family language of the bible is quite deliberate and in doing so you do a wonderful thing you keep sin at bay and you glorify god it's not wonderful um tony payne has a short book i thought i brought it up here with me i must have left it in my seat uh this guy's got it It's how to walk into church, and it encourages Christians to do this each week. Um, He does give practical wisdom, it's a good read, um, but he also suggests, um, in principle, we should all walk into church, all walk into church, this will become clear, wearing metaphorical T-shirts. I would add real T-shirts as well. Uh, No emperor's new clothes. But metaphorical T-shirts that say, um, God is important to me, and you are important to me. That's what we come into church with. Peter gives hospitality as a concrete example of how to do this. Okay, sorry. As I read it, hospitality, eat. There's your eat and the eat, pray, love. I should have been on that earlier and I'm really sorry. Um, This hospitality could look like any number of things, usually involving including others in your life. Um, And importantly, it adds without grumbling, not begrudgingly but willingly. Uh, And I think 
again, there are so many opportunities to do this and there's a sense in which you can pause and be encouraged by how it's already happening each week in, during, before, after church in so many ways. I mean, you do this when you notice who is not at church and you check in on them, see how they're going. You do it when you see who is new and you go and say hello, you invite them to join you. You do it when you serve morning tea, when you set up the gazebos, when you sit behind the tech desk or even when you turn in your seat with an encouraging word for the person you heard singing behind you. I appreciate your gusto, if not your tunefulness. Um, That's what you might say to me. You'll be more encouraging to, to others. But with Christ's sacrificial love behind us and with Christ's return ahead of us, the ordinary becomes opportunity. Can we spot them? And the gifts, of course, that God has given us are not just things that we are talented at. It's everything. It's our time. It's our situations, our possessions. All can be used well for God's glory. Elizabeth Elliot um, spoke about her job as a parent in this way. And we could say the same thing about different areas of our lives. She said, um, this job has been given to me to do. Therefore, it is a gift. Therefore, it is a privilege. Therefore, it is an offering I may make to God. Therefore, it is to be done gladly if it is to be done for him. Here, not somewhere else, I may learn God's way. We could all say that of of different things. It would be wonderful. And as always, um, service is accompanied with speech. Speech is separated out in verse 11 alongside service. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. And last week, uh, we were called to speak intentionally, graciously and memorably because we have words that matter in the gospel. And Peter adds that we are to speak as though we are speaking the very words of God. And one implication is that as Christ's representatives, um, what we say reflects who we think God is. And so our words matter. Another implication is that quite simply, We do have the words of God to speak. We have the Bible. We have the gospel. And when we encourage each other, we can do so using those words. But while we are called to action and faithfulness, um, this passage doesn't let us forget our dependency on God at all, does it? It starts with prayer and it ends by calling us to rely on God's grace, doing all things in God's strength. And... Christians aren't the only ones who are on about love, um, but we have more than a slogan. We have the 1 Corinthians 13 love, and we follow the example of Christ whose love drove him to the cross. And it's love that's not easy. 1 Peter 3 warns that suffering will come with it, but our love is a, a verb that puts off the self and values the other. And it's seen in sacrificial service, in putting others first without grumbling. And its motivation is not self-fulfillment or self-justification, but of rightly attributing praise and glory to where it belongs. Um, The demon Screwtape, he acknowledges in his letter, um, God says, mine of everything on the pedantic ground that he made it. But of course, that's not pedantic at all, is it? As we sung in our last song, um, his is the right to rule our life, but ours is the joy to live for him. That song really was a sermon. Um, Because God made it, and when we broke it, God redeemed it. And soon we will celebrate it in full. 
but what joy and purpose we have in being able to edify each other and give him more glory even now in everything. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.